Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Larry Singer and his wife, Sylvia, used to have their own television show and a newspaper column, both of which dealt with relationships and life changes. But since Sylvia was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, the couple's been navigating their own set of life challenges and redefining their relationship. One thing that hasn't changed is that Larry's still very much in love with Sylvia, even though his role as her full-time caregiver has presented all kinds of challenges. But that's Larry's story to tell. He joins us today from Toronto, Ontario, where he and Sylvia live. And as many of my listeners know, because I've forced this information on them, my mother is Canadian. She was born in Toronto, so I'm especially happy to welcome, by way of my mom, a fellow Canuck. Larry Singer, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's nice to be here, Jana, especially on on Canada Day. Yes, happy Canada Day. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. From your northern neighbor. Exactly. So, by way of background, tell us how you and Sylvia met and how long you've been together. Well, Sylvia and I actually met at a uh, mutual friend's swimming pool, believe it or not, almost 30 years ago. At a time, both of us, uh, unbeknownst to each other, were in marriages that were kind of crumbling, and we became friends. I, at the time, was working in the public arena, conducting workshops for banks, boards of education, et cetera, et cetera, dealing with, uh, as you mentioned in the, in the introduction, relationship issues and dealing with life changes, et cetera. And that pulled Sylvia, uh, drew Sylvia, and we became friends, and she started working with us, with me rather, and uh, and two of us together. That's how we started our life together. And uh, the friendship uh, sort of blossomed into something a little more than that after a year later, and uh, we've been together since, since the fall of 89. And did the two of you have kids together? No, we 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 both have grown children from previous marriages. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about the TV show and the column. How did that come about? Well, that's a, a, an interesting story because, as I said, I, I was doing a, a lot of work for community colleges, boards of education, etc., banks here in Toronto, and I had built up quite a dossier, I guess, and resume on uh, experience. And it's while we were living on the west coast of British Columbia, actually in Vancouver Island, that. One of our neighbors was a columnist for a local newspaper, and through him, we met the editor of the newspaper who did an interview with us, and the suggestion was made, why don't you guys write a column on what we deal with? And again, at the time, we were dealing with the family life education societies and better living societies in Vancouver Island. And so we did that, and we kind of became well-known in the area, and from there was almost a natural uh, progression to uh, uh, talk to the community TV stations, Mm -hmm. uh, TV station rather, 
we approached them with the idea for basically doing a television version of what our newspaper column was. And we would pick a different topic every week to discuss. And we talked about whatever it was for the first 20 minutes or so. And then we took questions on the air from Hmm. interested viewers. That sounds really fascinating. And this was, of course, all before Sylvia was diagnosed. All before. Actually, that was for about 10 years through through to the late 90s. Uh, well, we, we traveled quite a bit throughout Canada, and uh, we were in the, U, in the States for a while, in Arizona. And it's, it's when we came back to Canada and we relocated to Ottawa. It's while we were in Ottawa that uh, I began to notice some, some changes in, in the behavior. Because you, you have to put this in perspective. We came to Ottawa about six and a half years ago, and Sylvia basically managed the entire move. Wow. Dealing with the with the decorators, with the uh, office uh, leasing people, etc. I looked after the moving company, mm-hmm. and she orchestrated the rest of the move and and, and all the logistics around it. And so that was uh, about as I say about six and a half years ago, and uh, maybe after we'd been in Ottawa a year or two, started to notice some little changes, uh, uh, memory things, uh, dis- uh, disorientation, and that's when it started. And how old was she at the time? Uh, well, at the time we moved, she was just about 70. So I, I would say maybe 72, 70, okay. 71, 72, 70, that kind of thing. And she's now in her late 70s. It's 76, yeah. Oh, 76. She looks so 76. much younger in the photograph I saw. You both look younger. <laughs> That's what well, living in Canada you. will do for you. <laughs> well, I guess. Actually, so Sylvia is also a dancer. Uh, she was an incredible dancer. Uh, she taught as well. And so uh, that probably helped keep her young on top of her being beautiful to begin with. So there you go. But then again, I, I'm giving you the strictly unbiased opinion. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, let me ask you something. I didn't live near my parents in my adult life. And so the only dementia-like behavior I observed in my mother, who was later diagnosed with early stages of Alzheimer's, um, the only behavior I observed in her was occasional forgetfulness. And she was a freelance writer on and off her whole life. And so I moved in with her after my father died, and she tried writing an article. And I noticed in the writing that she wasn't constructing sentences properly. Now, I I knew my dad had read some of her writing because she'd shared it with him. And uh, so I'm, I'm now wondering if he was sort of being stoic and not sharing his observations of her decline with any of his daughters, because maybe he didn't want to admit to himself or to his daughters that his wife was changing. But, you know, I think now he must have seen the early warning signs. And I know that longtime couples are really good at covering up each other's weaknesses. <laughs> so this yep. So I'm wondering if there was any denial on your part with Sylvia and whether you shared your observations with anyone. Well, it's, th- there's no question. In, in retrospect, there had to be some denial on my part. But on the other hand, when you spend so much time with one person, it's like failing to observe the physical changes that happen to, say, facially to a person. You don't notice the day-to-day changes and, unless you haven't seen a person for 10 years and you realize, oh, my God, the person's gotten much older. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing behaviorally. Sylvia and I, for many years, spoke to each other in half sentences because that's all we ever needed. You know, we we could communicate without even saying anything. And so it's a combination. There's no question that there would be some denial or a refusal to admit that 
hey, things are, are not as good as they should be or as, as, as good as they used to be. But on the other hand, it's an honest kind of denial, if I can say such yeah. a thing, because you're so used to how each other is that you don't notice the little things immediately. Mm-hmm. And how quickly has the Alzheimer's progressed in her? Where is she at now? Versus well, uh, well, again, this is a strange thing because, and I've since discovered it's it's it seems only strange to me, but it's the norm in that there's no consistency in how it affects one person to the other, right. either in terms of the progression of it or the rate or whatever. But with Sylvia, it seems to be that there's a plateau or a level of whatever it is at whatever level, then something will happen. It'll be like a little drop off and then plateau. It's not that it's a, 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 a continual, well, today there was one thing wrong, tomorrow two things, and the next day three things. Right. It's not that way at all. And quite frankly, it's also impacted by a lot of other things. One of the biggest things that impacts and changes uh, the way things are is stress. The more stress there is, the more the symptoms, if you will, seem to manifest. Mm -hmm. The less stress or the more that Sylvia say, uh, speaking specifically about Sylvia, the more that she will either get into the music, whether it's dance or, or singing to music or just even listening to it, or if we go out for a coffee or have a great dessert or a glass of wine or something like that, the more engaged she is in the present then it also lessens the manifestations of the condition. And, and let me add one other thing. The climate changes things. So if, if we're in a, a hot, humid, sticky day, that's going to make it worse. Hmm. But if we're in a cool, breezy, dry, low humidity day, that'll make it better, depending that's... on the stress levels, depending on what else is going on. That's what makes the thing so maddening is it's not like if you have a broken leg, then you can say, okay, you got six weeks of this and three weeks of that and whatever. Right. And it's not impacted by much else. This is, it's maddening in that there is no consistency, there's no predictability, and it's impacted by so many other factors. And you've been living with that unpredictability for several years now. Absolutely. Well, what specific Absolutely. things does she need help with, if you can give us some examples? And additionally, besides memory loss, what other yep. symptoms does she have? Direction, a sense of that. If you take something like, say, uh, like Sylvia is perfectly capable of dressing herself and mm -hmm. showering by herself and brushing her teeth and, and grooming herself okay. and, and, mm -hmm. and eating her meals, etc. All of that, nothing has changed in that regard. Nothing has changed, period. She, she's a, as competent and able in those areas as she ever was. What has changed is, uh, how do I want to say, uh, there is a discomfort, a lack of confidence. That might be a better word. I see. If we talk about meal preparation, for example, Sylvia and I always used to share. Sylvia would prepare lunches, I would prepare dinners. Mm -hmm. Well, the confidence and the ability to prepare meals is gone. However, interestingly enough, like I'll make eggs, but I'll be damned if I can crack eggs. I don't know how to crack eggs and I won't do it. <laughs> but Sylvia, if I'm making eggs for Sunday breakfast, Sylvia will take the eggs and crack them. And she does that perfectly and, and off we go. Mm -hmm. And then I make the eggs. But if it's say time for showering at night, well, I'll lay out everything that needs to be done with you know, a toothbrush, shower cap, and all of that. And then Sylvia does it all that she needs to do. So there's certain losses and certain things that aren't lost. And 
the degree of the losses really hasn't changed much over the last year. Where the major changes have happened is in a combination of the memory loss, like the thoughts will form in her head, but there's the difficulty in expressing mm-hmm. thoughts and the direction slash orientation. Mm-hmm. Those are the three main areas in which they manifest. And it's fascinating to watch. I don't know if you're aware of uh, music therapy, the music that's been done with, with dementia people. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Music uh, and memory. The Alive, the mm-hmm. alive Inside. Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, we're part of that music project here with Alzheimer's in Toronto. And that's another whole thing we can talk about. This is fascinating. When Sylvia starts singing along to music, if she can't remember what we talked about 10 minutes ago, put on a song from 70 years ago, and she's singing along every lyric, every beat, every hook, and every pause in the rhythm. She, it's like it was yesterday. Music has the most profound impact on people with dementia that I've ever seen in my life. And I'm, I could kick myself for not having made the connection earlier. So uh, I know I've wandered here a little bit. No, no, bit, it's but, okay. Music is the last thing to go from the memory. I think it's still that, back there. That's right. The part of the brain that remembers music and sings along with music, etc., that part of the brain is the last ever to be touched, if it ever is touched, by dementia. And what an amazing gift that is for the dementia Oh, patient. it is. Well, do you have any outside help from friends or family members? Are the kids involved at all at this point? Well, that's kind of a, a, a difficult area. And without getting into it too much, uh, Sylvia's daughters have been kind of neglectful. And, uh, mm. and that's a source of difficulty. And so we don't want to dwell on that too mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. But we, the support, that, you know, there's two kinds of support we're getting, actually three. There's what's called in Ontario, the Community Care Access Centers, they contract out to various uh, health providers to send in PSWs, which are personal support workers, mm-hmm. to come in and either assist with the person with, with dementia or for caregiver respite. Mm-hmm. So through that program, I'm getting four hours a week, two hours on Tuesday, two hours on Thursday. Additionally, this is a new project through Alzheimer's Toronto. It's for the caregiver project. They're providing through another healthcare provider one day a week. I get six hours straight off on Fridays, which is a big help. And that's, that's what lets me, you know, get out for the day and just lose myself downtown Toronto or, or whatever and just chill out. And the third area from the people at Alzheimer's Toronto themselves have just been phenomenal. The, the uh, I, I have fairly regular communication with one of the social workers at Alzheimer's Toronto, and I speak with her on the phone for an hour or so every couple of weeks. She's been great support. Uh, the CEO, Kathy Barrick, has been fabulous. Mm-hmm. A couple of the, the people in charge of projects, Romina Oliverio. And I want to mention these names because sure. mm-hmm. Romina is the one in charge of the Caregiver Project and the Music Project, and she's just been outstanding in her support emotionally and, and letting me know that I'm not alone and there are other people there offering support. So I would have to say, all things considered, I'm feeling pretty blessed and getting a lot of help. Mm-hmm. Did it take you a while to ask for help or even realize how much strain you were under? Get out of my head. How do you know me so well? <laughs> I thought I can do it all and I can do it forever. And, Did you and have you a can. breaking point or was there a crisis? Well, any- yeah. One specific thing, Jenna, I found that I was becoming extremely irritable. Mm-hmm. I was not sleeping. Uh, there were several things and, and that, that, that I was beginning to feel and doing a little bit of research and again talking with the people at uh, Alzheimer's Toronto 
they recognized that I was burning out, that I was uh, under stress. And interestingly enough, when you get into, and I'm sure I'm not telling you anything new, when you get into a caregiver situation compared to the person with dementia, the caregiver is more at risk than the person with dementia. Especially among spouses and partners. That's because right. There are just very, some very different stresses that come to bear for spouses. Which brings me to the question, do you ever feel like your identity is defined solely as a caregiver, that is, in a relationship to Sylvia rather than just as you? And do you see yourself as a caregiver first or a husband first or both? Sometimes, sometimes I feel like the caregiver only. Yeah, sometimes, but mostly... Again, I wish you knew Sylvia. She is such a nice person Mm -hmm. on top of everything else, temperamentally and personality-wise. She always makes me feel like I'm her best friend, I'm her husband, I'm the love of her life. And that hasn't changed, and I feel the same way about her. Mm -hmm. So there are periods of time when I feel, hey, all I am is a caregiver, and that's all I do is work, 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 work. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't last for more than a few hours. And so I would have to say generally, no, a short answer to your question. (laughs) Are you still working at all or are you retired? No, Uh, no, no. We retired about uh, 15 years ago. Okay. Well, how has your social life changed as a result of this? Have friends fallen away? Do you talk about Sylvia's condition with them? They haven't fallen away and we do talk about it quite openly. What has changed is how do I want to say, the outer aspect of our social life. We don't go out in the evenings like we used to. We don't take the bus and subway anymore. Sylvia really doesn't has some difficulties in that. And seeing as how we don't drive and haven't for, for years and years, we pretty well stay in our area. We're fortunate that we have a, a lot to do right within our area. So in that regard, our social life has changed. It's become much more home-centric, much more neighborhood-centric than it used to be. Mm-hmm. How does Sylvia respond to meeting new people? Sylvia's a people person. So generally, uh, like she'll be the first, she'll, she'll chat up a neighbor in the elevator before I will. So she's good with meeting people, always has been and still is. Okay. Having said that, there's a um, discomfort in how to carry on the interchange with the person, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm, I do. Because, um, again, I, from my perspective of my mom, she's a people person too, but there's kind of like she can walk up to the edge, but then that's she can't go any further with conversations. Right. You know, and it's right. not because well, she doesn't want to. It's just she's not confident about speaking. Well, there is that. That's true. There's also, I, I've noticed, it takes more time now for Sylvia to become comfortable with a new person in her life than it used to. Mm-hmm. I'm talking now, for example, the PSWs, the home care workers who come in. It takes time to build a relationship uh, rather than feel comfortable with a new person immediately, particularly if I am not here. If I'm not here, then it's a strange person, and that can set off some complications initially until the fear is overcome and the comfort level is established. Have you had any or witnessed any sort of bizarre interactions with strangers who just don't know how to interact with her? Not bizarre, but I've seen some people, uh, like uh, Sylvia sometimes may make a comment that doesn't make too much sense on the surface, and they'll look at her kind of blankly, whereas I already know what she's trying to say. So 
either I'll jump in and say, well, well, well yeah, I think it is true what uh, blah, 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 whatever. Right. Like, oh, like I know what, what Sylvia's means, right. even though it doesn't come out that way. Mm-hmm. I find myself rescuing my mom on occasion. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That happens all the time. Perhaps unnecessarily so. Perhaps it's a it's this uh, combination of protecting and I can make things right that I have anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you how you stay positive and how you manage your own emotions. Well, uh, I thank the good Lord that I'm a positive person to, mm-hmm. generally to begin with. I always have looked at things from a glass half full perspective rather than a glass half empty. So I tend to put a positive spin on things anyway. Combine that with, I tend to be very pragmatic. So once an initial panic or anger or denial is dealt with, and once I get past that, then uh, when I know what I'm dealing with, I can deal with it okay, and I'm fine. If I know that I'm getting a break, uh, whether it's a two-hour or a six-hour break, if I know that that's happening tomorrow or the next day, whatever, then I can deal with the difficulties today because I know the break is going to be there tomorrow. My difficulty would come is if I couldn't see a break coming. If I didn't, oh, God, how long am I going to have to deal with this before something happens? So generally, I'd have to say, Jana, that I can deal with it positively, provided there's not too much being piled on at any one time or or additionally. Let me just back up just a minute. When you got an actual diagnosis from a neurologist. No. 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 How did that go? How did that unfold? Well, here's the way that worked. And again, the actual formal diagnosis was, uh, I'm going to say maybe four or five months ago, something like that. Yeah, because although all the symptoms and signs were there, and earlier, you know, I referred to the CCAC, Mm -hmm. uh, the Community Care Access Center, they were providing a minimum level of service, even without a doctor's referral or assessment. And Alzheimer's Society had already jumped in and was providing support with, with the music project, even without a formal diagnosis. Did because you reach out to them initially just based on what you were observing? To the Community Care yeah. Center, Access Center, yes, I did. Alzheimer's, uh, the reason I reached out to them was because we heard about this Alive Inside DVD, oh, the music. And, and so that's how I got to them. Hmm. But it's when we started to need additional help, additional services, whether it's through transportation subsidies or that kind of thing, to go to appointments or whatever, that the Community Care Access Center said they're going to have to have a doctor's referral. And that meant having a formal diagnosis. So it was our family doctor that did that. And the family doctor asked if we wanted to go for formal testing to a gerontologist and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And we said no, because there's no point to it because it is what it is. Any medication will only relieve some of the symptoms for a short period of time, and the side effects are no great hell either. So the GP, our family doctor, is is on side with us, as is the people from the Community Care Access Center, that there is no point in going for the formal testing. It doesn't serve any great purpose. If there was ever a need for some formal long-term care, then we have all the availability right now. We don't need to go through the route of the other stuff. Because hmm. you're in a different system up there in Canada. I'm just yes. trying to get a sense of the differences in the approaches between the U.S. and 
Canada. That's right. Something. But I think we could probably say that you can get access to programs and support services here if you're proactive without a diagnosis of any kind. But it's interesting right. to me that you sought help before you focused on a diagnosis, where I think I really wanted the diagnosis first before I, I really I, tried to I, figure I, out the help. Uh, yeah, no, I can understand that. Again, though, I had done so much research. Uh-huh. You know, the old expression that if it looks like a duck and sounds like a duck and <laughs> right. walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, chances are it's a duck. Right. Well, that's what I went through and did all the research and spoke to a lot of people and all the signs were there and everyone agreed that that's what this is. This is, this is dementia. And it was when uh, the need for some more services arose that we were told, well, go to your doctor and get a formal written diagnosis. And that's what happened. Uh-huh. So do you get six hours off every Friday? Yes. Six yeah. hours is a really good length of time. And Absolutely. you can get a lot done. So I was wondering if you had any of your own health issues that you have to manage. Other than the stress, I'd have to say no. I have all the energy to do what I need to do. Touch wood. I'm not on any medication, neither is Sylvia. We exercise every day, try to eat, we eat properly. So no, I don't have any issues. Of course, my, I'm concerned, obviously, with the load that I'm carrying, with what could happen. But I, I don't feel like I'm exhibiting uh, any symptoms of that either. All the vital signs are, are good. Uh, my digestion is fine. We eat properly, as I say. So, so I, I, I think I'm managing that pretty well. When was the last time you saw a doctor? Who, me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm concerned God, about know. you, Larry. I, I'm concerned <laughs> about Sylvia, too. <laughs> but you're the uh, caregiver, so yeah, that's important. I, well, I, I, I think... Actually, it was it was about eight years ago. And, eight and, and years a, ago, yeah, oh, no. yeah, and, and uh, yeah, and here's the story on that. <laughs> My mother had passed about six months or so before that, and there was a huge family blow up around the will and, and really a mess. Oh, boy. And anyway, after a number of months of that. I had a ringing in my ears, continual ringing in my ears, and I knew from everything I'd read that, hey, that could be a precursor to a stroke. Anyway, we we happened to be at a drugstore one day, and uh, I was just stressed out of my mind, and they had a free blood pressure machine there. I sat down, took my blood pressure. It was like a a million over 500 or something like that. It was really, really high. And so I said, well, I better get to the doctor. So I went to the doctor a a couple of days later. And first question he asked me, he says, are you under any stress? And and I told him, and he he took my blood pressure and it was high. He says, I'm going to give you a blood pressure kit to take home. And what I want you to do is relax and take your blood pressure every morning, every evening with this machine for a week. And I did. And the blood pressure was normal. So the ringing in the ears turned out to be tinnitus. And that's what it is. And I still have it off and on. Uh, Like even now I'm hearing a ringing in my ears. Uh, Sometimes it's quieter. Sometimes it's louder. Sometimes it's not there. It's not uh, life threatening. It's not an illness. Doesn't doesn't cause anything. And and so that's what it is. Mm -hmm. So what's a typical day like for you? And what's the best time of day for you? Well, I would have to say mornings because mm-hmm. that's Sylvia's best time too. We get up pretty early. We're normally up by before six o'clock and we get ourselves organized and I make breakfast and after breakfast we have coffee. 
And that's probably our one of our nicest times of day. We sit and talk. I've put this on Twitter before that I always have two cups of coffee in the morning. The first one is necessity. The second <laughs> one is pleasure. <laughs> and so I would I would have to say mornings. That's Sylvia's best time, too. And that's probably the best time of day for me. Yeah, and and how does so. the rest of your day go? Is it unpredictable or do you try to maintain a structure? I try to maintain structure for the most part. There are certain things I do on certain days. We try to eat our meals at the same time every day pretty well. There isn't a lot of unpredictability that comes up, Jana. The unpredictability might be if Sylvia maybe encounters a new problem or or we have a power failure or something in, in the building, which we've had the odd time. But generally, our days go fairly smoothly. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I try my best to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And do you live in Toronto proper, in town? What's your surroundings do you, like? Do you know Toronto? Not recent Toronto. We used to okay. drive up every Christmas, but that's when I was a kid. We live in uh, North Toronto. It's called North York. Toronto's made up of five cities, or much kind of like New York is in a way. Mm-hmm. So we're we're in a, uh, North York, Toronto, which would be not the suburbs, but not the urban part either. We have a huge shopping mall right across the street from us. We have our library just down the street, and we have a medical building where our doctor and dentist is right across the street too. So it's not suburban, but it's not downtown urban either. It's, so you it, don't need a car though. No, absolutely yeah. not. We haven't had a car now in, well, since we came back to Ottawa over six years. So what is the worst time of day for you? Uh, probably late afternoon after the stress of the days have piled up and I'm making dinner. That's probably the worst. In the evening, we generally try to relax and uh, watch a movie or catch a Seinfeld or something like that or just sit and listen to music. So so I, I would say late afternoon, uh, the energy level is starting to go, and, uh, mm-hmm. and i got to make dinner. Uh-huh. I want to ask you a somewhat delicate question that you can refuse to answer. Sure. How has this changed your level of intimacy with Sylvia? I, you know, I knew that was, was going <laughs> to happen. I knew you were going to say that. It's the strangest thing I've ever experienced in that regard, because... It used to be incredibly, let me call, active and frequent and has been up until the last year or so. Then it waned Mm -hmm. drastically to almost non-existence. Mm -hmm. But recently, it started to go the other way again. So you can edit this out if you want, but I'm a happy camper. Good. I don't want to edit anything out. I believe in open and frank discussions. Yeah. And you know what? I'm such a firm believer that in physical intimacy, sex, if you want to call it, because as a matter of fact, we were just talking about it this morning. I, I was saying to Sylvia, there are very few things that you do in life that force you to be right now in the present moment, right now. And there's no wondering about what to do, uh, how to fix your your clothing or what you're going to shop for next week. You're right now in the moment. And for a person with dementia, that's a great thing because it engages her in the moment and there's no forgetfulness. For the caregiver, for me, it engages me in the moment and I can forget about the stresses. So I, for one, I can't overemphasize the importance of it and the, the wonder of it. It's, it's fabulous. And remember, Sylvia's 76 and I'm 74. Well, she still well, she recognizes does, she, you. She still knows you're, you're her spouse, right? So. Oh, strongly. Oh, yeah. no, not, not, not even a hint of anything else. 
Uh-huh. Well, how have your plans for the future changed? And what are those plans, if you have well, any? Well, yeah, don't plan too far ahead mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 anymore. We don't. It's our 25th wedding anniversary coming up, actually, on, on July 12th. And it'll be 25 years that we're married. And mm-hmm. so we're going out for a nice dinner. But beyond that, we try not to, I try not to plan too far ahead. And where Sylvia is concerned, Sylvia needs to stay with what's happening today. She can't think of, well, let's do this next week and when the week after we'll do that. So I have these kind of plans in my head that I think, okay, we're going to, well, let, let's talk about this as it comes up. But with the way things are, I certainly am not thinking of what we're going to be doing five years from today. It's enough that I'll think about, well, it's the Jewish high holidays coming up in a couple of months, and we'll mm-hmm. celebrate those and then maybe heading towards New Year's. And that's about as far as I want to think. Yeah. What are your concerns going forward? Quality of, of life for the person. That's it. If you're talking about death, neither Sylvia nor I fear death. We don't have a fear of death. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not that. It's, it's more the quality of life. That would be a concern for both. You've discussed that with her? To a certain extent, recognizing that it could happen. But again, that's a tough call because it requires thinking ahead and that can't happen. So, and that's a difficulty. Right. So it's tough to do in that regard. And it sounds, you're not avoiding anything. I mean, that would no. be like if you had no. your head in the sand, that would be probably not healthy. Probably, I I agree. And and I have to admit, I probably did have my head in the sand early on, as we talked about earlier. There probably was that bit of denial, but Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, certainly not at this point. Have you taken advantage of any support groups as far as like talk therapy or anything like that? We have a lot of them here. My problem is getting to them, both a combination of transportation, but more importantly, I wouldn't want to leave Sylvia. Mm-hmm. to go to a support group. So that's why I've been able to take advantage a lot in talking with the social workers at the Alzheimer's Society as well. I am tied into a couple of online support groups, and I've done a couple of webinars with the Alzheimer's Society. Mm-hmm. How would you define caring well? For yeah. me or for, or, for, or, you. or talking about the caregiver? Yes. It's difficult to maintain your sense of strength and not snap at the person to respect the other person you have to make sure that you look after yourself you have to if i don't look after myself then i'm not going to be able to look after sylvia and so that's paramount make sure that you segment your time as much as you can i happen to be a good time manager so if i say i need a 15 minute lie down just to have a 15 minute power nap then i can do it i can make myself do that or this is the time that i'm going to cook this is the time that i'm going to have coffee with sylvia you have to manage your time you have to eat properly you have to make sure you exercise make sure you exercise in whatever form that takes for you those are the paramount things i think and so the respite that you get just so i understand this you get four hours a week two hours on one day and two hours another day and then six hours on most fridays yep and that's it yep okay so other than that you're with sylvia all the time yes that's a lot. <laughs> well, again, it isn't, it isn't. You'd have to know our background. In Tell the 28 me. years that we've been together, we have never spent a night apart. Oh, okay. In I 28 years, we've never spent a night apart. I get and it. actually, yeah. all those years, we were working together. So we used to laugh and we say, we were together 23 and a half hours every day. 
the only time we're not together is when one of us is in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, we're together. We used to grocery shop together, whatever. We would go everywhere together. And so being with Sylvia all the hours that I am is not a change from what I've been used to all the years. Mm-hmm. What is different is the fact that I'm carrying the entire load. That's the difference. And I have to make every single decision as to whether to slice the bread sideways or from corner to corner. Everything, every decision, major or minor, big or small, is mine. So that's the difference. Where we used to share everything and talk about things, now all decision-making is mine and all the tasks are mine. Uh huh. If you could ask for help with one thing or if you could make one change in your life right now, what do you think it would be? Aside from wishing it was as it was? Aside from that? Yeah. If I could have someone prepare a home-cooked meal for me, I I would kiss them. I'd ask to be Mm -hmm. adopted. Uh If someone would just prepare the odd home-cooked meal for me, that's all I want. That's not a lot. Yeah, but try and get it. Yeah. You touched on this a little bit before, but what would you say to someone caring for a spouse or a partner who might need a bit of advice or encouragement based on what you've learned? For God's sakes, keep your sense of humor. Laugh Keep yourself in balance. Look after yourself. Know that you're not alone. Know that there's, no matter how uniquely difficult you feel your situation is, there's a million others who are in just as difficult a situation. And in case you really feel like you're feeling sorry for yourself, just go outside and walk to the mall, and I guarantee you, you'll see people who are much worse off than you are. Well said. Well, finally, in honor of Canada Day, what misconception yeah. about Canadians would you like to correct for your American neighbors? Tell your weather people that cold fronts always don't come from Canada. A cold <laughs> front coming down from Canada. It isn't. Many times it comes from your western part oh, of your, so your country. And the other is that we really don't have reindeer and Eskimos running around Young Street in Toronto. We really don't. Really, there's cars and there's people with cell phones. Really. (laughs) And we even have color television here. (laughs) But the one thing we really don't have is Donald Trump, thank God. Larry Singer, spouse, caregiver, coffee and ice cream lover, as I've learned. <laughs> for sure. Thank you so oh, yeah. much for being on the show. I really appreciate your openness, and I appreciate your participating in the show. Thanks, Larry. Well, it's been a delight talking to you, Jenna, and, and thanks for having me on the show. Bye-bye. Bye now. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. The AgeWise podcast is produced and edited by me, Jana Panaritis, and you can listen to the show and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The AgeWise podcast is also distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. And don't forget to check out our website for more amazing caregiving stories from the field. Go to agewise.com. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z. And find out how you can be a guest on the show. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours. Thank you.